Welcome to Film Strip Sessions, our general entertainment discussion podcast. I'm Jay, and with me today is Irina. Hello. And we also have Lindsay with us, who's joining us for the first time. Um, and I'm going to kind of give a little background to Lindsay here. Um, so I met Lindsay about 14 months ago, sitting, waiting to figure out how the hell to handle costumes for a local theater. And all I could think as I looked at her, Jay, was, who the hell is this chick? Um, since then, she kind of became my stage partner, my person who I shared glances with on stage saying, okay, so whose line is it anyway? Um, I'm wondering if the sound cue is going to come on on time, early, late, or whenever the spirits of the theater felt like they were going to, you know, let them show. So she's kind of seen me through everything from wigs to wedgies, singing loudly in dressing rooms with, you know, while using hair spray cans and brushes and microphones and kind of enjoying locker room talk varying from finding new wrinkles to betting about whether or not I'll fart on stage. So, you know, <laughs> we, we, we kind of share a background. Um, we talked about doing a podcast of our own, but after several nights and several bottles of wine, yes, bottles and watching aliens for a second or third time, I said, why not film strip? Um, Jay, you met Lindsay when you played a DJ in our last production of Steel Magnolias at Winchester yep. Little Theater, and we all had some good laughs and kind of, it sounded like we figured out, hey, you know, this could work. So um, with no further ado, here is Lindsay, who root for roots for the home team. And if they don't win, well, at least it was a good game. So put her in coach. She's ready to film strip. Welcome uh, to the show, Lindsay. Thanks. I'm so excited to be here. And the Nats are playing tonight, so I am root, root, rooting for the home team. <laughs> Very fun. So the World Series is still going on as we're recording. This is our November Sessions show, and... <laughs> Our family's just expanding here on Film Strip. I mean, this thing started out with me and Brian and Anna from way back when, and then grew to Nick, and we added Kurt in, and then we added Ron in, and Anna retired, and then we, you know, just kept going, and then and we added Irene in because Ron thought that would be really funny, and it was, and, <laughs> and then, I, then I actually, you know, got got involved in this uh, stage production thing, which was a blast for me to do. Got to come watch y'all at the Winchester Little Theater, which was an absolute blast. For those that don't know, it is a a community theater built in the back of an old train depot. It's one of the coolest things I've, I've seen in a long time. I'm always about like funky places like that. And I got to see Lindsay play the role of Shelby in Still Magnolias and not the Julia Roberts version, just so everybody knows. But the whole time I'm watching Lindsay on stage, my wife and I are looking at each other going like, that's fill in the name of my coworker because I was swore like I, I found her long lost sister. I'm texting her during the show. Like I have found your sister. You didn't know you had showed her pictures when I got back and she was like, Oh really? Yeah. And I was like everything, but the Ohio accent. Uh, so anyway, a lot of fun. Uh, we got to talking. I think I got involved in one of those one night y'all were watching aliens with a couple of bottles of something and a text chat. And it just, you know, was fun. And I said, you know what, this, this is too fun to not try to do on the show. And Lindsay, we're glad to add you in on this, uh, this session show. It's a good way to introduce folks to the show. Yeah. Again, happy to be here. I'm excited. So this month we're, we're doing this because Irina's debut episode, review episode, drops later this month, review of Chicago, and it's musicals month here on Filmstrip. And we've got another special guest on the first episode, uh, Mike from Amar Charters and I reviewed the sound of music together. And in between here, I wanted to, one, bring you on, Lindsay, to introduce you to the Filmstrip crew. And we'll talk about what you're going to be reviewing with us coming up in 2020. But also wanted to talk with both of you about what makes a good movie, TV, musical work in general and get your opinions on why those things are still so popular in contemporary film and we're going back to the 30s up until now and we're still making them we're still doing them so that's kind of where I wanted to start with this and so obviously Sound of Music in Chicago we've reviewed those we're not going to talk about those tonight but Lindsay since you're new we'll start with you what is it about movie musicals you think I don't know makes people go and see them still Hugh Jackman <laughs> I guess <laughs> that's it that's all I got <laughs> I'm kind of going to side with Lindsay on this one <laughs> but he's not in all of them unfortunately so but, just well, the greatest showman he should be that's not our problem 
I now kind of want to see a That's version the film of film industry missing a golden opportunity. I kind of want to see the cell block tango with Hugh Jackman. I just want to throw that back. Yeah. So uh, I'm just going to put it out there. There is a male version of the cell block tango and it's fabulous. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, you need to go YouTube that when you get done with us. Jay. I, I haven't, but I find myself falling down another rabbit hole on YouTube. Thanks to Irina. Um, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Rabbit hole of musical theater. Um, I think Lindsay's kind of hit the nail on the head, though. <laughs> one of the things <laughs> that kind of brings us all back to the musicals is taking these actors that typically play these, um, you know, serious, more serious characters, uh, because I don't remember the last time I saw Hugh Jackman do anything funny, um, but kind of putting them in a place where we're not used to seeing them. Yeah. And I mean, think of, too, like all of these giant film stars that started on Broadway or have been on Broadway a number of times. And I mean, it works two ways, right? So Broadway gets a big name when they end up in a show, um, like Dear Evan Hansen. And thank uh, you, Benjamin Platt. Yes, God, for everything. <laughs> uh, and and it is like Irina said, just super interesting to see these actors who maybe you didn't know could sing, and maybe sh- who shouldn't, but. You know, it's still fun to watch them. <laughs> um, yeah, we'll, we'll get uh, into the should or shouldn't. I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it, but it is, it's it's fun to see I, them branching out. It is fun. I'll, something that they love. I will say as somebody who who has never done theater or anything, y'all are my one and only production credit ever in, in theater and all that stuff. The thing I've always liked about musicals, and it goes back to just growing up where I did in North Alabama, we had a local college, University of North Alabama, and a local high school, Coffee High School, that had really interesting band and music directors that just put on productions that those little places had no business really doing. Like I saw a, a production of Bye Bye Birdie when I was in eighth grade, and it just blew my mind that like high school kids could pull this stuff off and then my freshman year of college they did Don Quixote Man of La Mancha and I knew the guy that played Don Quixote and he was a pre-med student I mean, he wasn't an actor at all, but he had this gorgeous voice and they, they taught him how to walk and dance enough to pull it off. And I just, I'm always been just amazed by watching musical theater happen on stage. It's, it's very fun for me. I like plays and I like plays with drama and things like that. But honestly, musical theater is a lot of fun because I haven't been somebody that played a lot of music in my life. I mean, it just sort of hits a lot of buttons for me, but there's something about when you take that element and you take it off of the stage or out of the theater experience and you put it on the screen that there's only a few times I can ever say I thought it really worked for me. And the oldest one for me is, it's probably one that got a lot of people into it. I walked around singing the lyrics to Greece before I had any idea what that was, <laughs> which yep. coming from the conservative household I did was amazing because my parents were totally like, let me do that. And you know, I had no idea what I was talking about, but I remember watching John Travolta and, you know, uh, Olivia Newton-John and all these other people, Stalker Channing, do that whole routine. And just, just I still, I can watch that today. I could, I watched that movie two weeks ago just because it had been a while. And I thought, man, this still works. It still holds up. And I don't know why, you know? I think it takes us out of the, the ordinary, the, the day-to-day conversations. Um, and and if we look at different actors, and I've, there, there's a podcast that I've been listening to where they do interviews with different actors. Um Come to find out, uh, Edward Norton, you know, we all know him for Fight Club. Now he's coming out with Motherless Brooklyn. He's got a bunch of other stuff. You know, the Hulk, he had a stint as the Hulk. But he started out doing stage plays. He did two movie musicals. Did they do great? No, but I think that was the content. I think what what the musical movie gives us is that three-dimensional fascination, whereas a musical as a stage play, we only get that 2D. Yeah, I think. So sometimes it just works better in 2D. Like half the fun is seeing the transitions and half the magic for me in musicals is getting to see like these seamless, crazy transitions. I mean, when they're, when they're done well, obviously they can be done very poorly, but I mean, if you're going to see like some high caliber Broadway or off Broadway show, or even like a college show, it's just, it's interesting to me to see the different takes on it. And movie musicals are so much fun. I, I freaking love The Greatest Showman so much. And <laughs> among, among others. But for me, like seeing a musical in person, especially one that's on a professional level, is pure magic. 
Oh, and you know, one hundred percent, I'm there with you. But if we look at you know the the movie musicals, like that started out as a movie and then transitioned to the stage, like um, Moulin Rouge, for example, new musical. Uh, there are aspects of that as a movie that make much more sense. Whereas you transition that to stage, I think we lose some of the the exciting aspects of that because. Yeah. And I don't know what they're doing on stage in Broadway. I, I don't know if you've seen it. There's so much going on with the characters there, especially with the the in and out zoom of the camera angles and everything that I don't, I think maybe we might miss something as a stage production. Um, and even with The Greatest Showman, I don't know whether they're going to do that as a stage play. They probably will. You know, God willing, they probably will. But I, I mean, I'm curious as to how they'll mix in the trapeze artist aspects. Right. So here's one. How do you feel about non-musical movies that were turned into musicals? So there are a ton of them that I love. And I'll start with Legally Blonde because Legally Blonde as a movie made me fall asleep. But as a musical, (laughs) I felt like (laughs) true confessions. And it may be because I did Legally Blonde, but at the same time, I felt like it transitioned to a musical very well because I think that the characters were such caricatures. They were almost cartoony. Reese Witherspoon, the way her character comes across in the movie is not a true to life character. So transitioning that to a musical character worked very well. And I think the emotions were more easily expressed through music. Uh, Another one that I will kind of throw out there that should not have been transitioned from a movie to a musical is Bring It On. Um, I don't know about you, Lindsay, but how many times did we watch Bring It On? <laughs> hey, I can, no, I can weigh in on this too. Back in the day, Brian and I reviewed that as a Buffy season extra for our Buffy podcast. So I, I like Bring It On. I'll admit to that. So confession. I, I, I just movie. listened to that too. <laughs> oh, what about Jerry Springer, the musical? <laughs> I mean, it might as well yeah, be, right? A thing? So, no, it was a thing. I did not oh know God. that. Really? Okay. Yeah. I mean, now I got to look that thing. up. It was a thing in like the the mid two thousands. See, oh, that, that, that sounds amazing. I I can think of an example. It, I didn't get to see it, but I had the soundtrack to it, and I had friends that flew to New York and saw it when it was in previews, and just told me how ridiculous it was when they tried to make Spider Man a musical, and just how ridiculous well, and it the was. Guy died. Yeah. Well, that yeah. that too uh, but that whole idea like and part of it is they gave it to julie Taymor, and that's a whole other discussion for another day but her whole aesthetic and like take on that like it just didn't really work but here's the funny thing like two or three of those songs i'm not gonna lie they kind of work I'm, i listen to them and i'm like okay i'm listening to bad non-u2 songs written by u2 and sung by somebody else but like bouncing off the walls kind of works as a song like it, it's pretty good and rise above is not a terrible song but bouncing off the walls is a good song and freak like me the goblin song is is pretty darn good for like a bad guy song but when you you start to think about like visually how that would have looked. And then I've looked at a lot of stills and pictures and a little bit of video clips of them doing it. I'm like, how redonkulous that must've been on stage <laughs> for anyone to experience. I get, so that's one that like, that should have never been done. And you know, and, it, and it's not one that I have not seen, but I have followed a ton of Irene introduced me to it and I own the soundtrack to it. And one day I'm going to go see it. Beetlejuice shouldn't have never worked as a musical. I would argue it works better as a musical than it did a movie because the music is awesome awesome in that and the performers are great in it 100 percent. well yeah Lindsay, did you go see it when it was local i didn't no i failed i do have to correct all of us though it was jerry springer the opera oh. and it was not oh. written as a u.s musical it was written as a british musical which makes it 10 times better because i can only imagine the british interpretation of jerry springer um, other songs that, uh, that you know, I think Jay, in, in you're talking about Spider-Man the musical. The one thing that you left out is the song "If the World Should End." It's kind of like yeah. the love song that's there in the middle of the show, and it's this rock like ballad that she sings, and it kind of reminds me in some moments, like I wish Heart had re- performed it instead of whoever was on stage. Carney? Like I think, they, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they could take that song and just like blow up the scene with that song and just have a Listen. resurgence of of 
fandom here. Listen, you can get Nancy and Ann Wilson to sing the friggin' phone book, and I'm going to listen to that all day. <laughs> yeah. I want to reverse it and go back the other way. I want to talk about things that were started out on stage and then made it into movies that worked or didn't work. And I, I told y'all my oldest memory of one. It was Grease, obviously. Uh, it's certainly not the oldest one. But what's the first movie musical you remember seeing as a kid? And yes, I saw Grease before Mary Poppins. So let's just get that out of the way. Oh, I mean, I saw Mary Poppins. I don't really remember it, though. So I don't think I'd count. And Grease was probably my first one, honestly. So I'm going to go way back because we know that my history is that my mom was a choreographer, stage manager type person um, who I was kind of at her side all the time. I know that in utero, she did Fiddler on the Roof. While she, so she, while she was pregnant with me, she did Fiddler on the Roof. I remember very distinctly her being pregnant with my brother when I was probably seven. And uh, she did Annie. So I'm going to keep going. Kiss Me Kate is an old one. I think the one that I remember the most, and I don't know whether it ever made it to Broadway as a stage uh, musical, but was a musical called Royal Wedding. And it was a great brother-sister combination of Fred Astaire and Jane Powell. I think it had Peter Lawford in it as well, but it was a brother-sister pairing and it, was a, it wasn't a learner and low musical, but it was a learner and learner musical. And it was really great and just kind of followed their journey during the royal wedding of that time period. That's cool. I was, Hello, Dolly was up there too. And uh, Music Man. Oh, yeah. I love Music Man. Yeah. Yep. I do remember seeing Hello, Dolly. And then, like I said, uh, I think I saw that because I, one of my mother's friends knew I liked Grease and thought I might dig the music to that. And so I think loaned me like the LP of it. And then I ended up, I don't know, watching a VHS of it one time or another. I, I talked about it with Mike on the show. I know I had seen the sound of music, but I just didn't really put all of it together. I'd seen like pieces of it. Reviewing it with him was the first time I sat down and watched it like, you know, front to end, which I'm was sorry, which was fun. So, well, that, you know, I'm, it, I'm it, glad it, you said that, Irina. So. I was like, I don't know if you liked it or not. Well, you know, you you listen to the show. We all had some version of Greece in common. So I, I want to use that as a common linchpin to just talk about something. I told you what I love about it. I think the performances are great. It is that hypered reality in between the dialogue scenes of what I can imagine 1959 high school would have been like. I mean, I'm sure it wasn't at all, but you know, whatever. And, and I, I get into it. And then years later, of course, learning about like all the real undercurrent innuendo in it and all that is kind of a fun treat. I remember going and see when they put like the 20th anniversary back out in theaters or something. I was, I think I'd, I'd been out of school for a little while, but I went back and saw it and we're watching it going like, man, I don't remember how dirty that used to be. Okay. <laughs> so, but, but I want to ask both of you since you saw that one early too, and it hooked for you. What was it about Greece that really worked for you? Lindsay, let's start with you. Uh, for me, when I first saw it, I think I was in, I don't know, fourth or fifth grade. And my friend and I at the time were obsessed with everything from the 50s. Like, mm. we made our grandfather teach us how to jitterbug, and we had Elvis everything. I swear, she had a set of those Elvis uh, plates that people collect. Like the, the commemoratives. Yes, the commemorative <laughs> plates. She might still have them. I don't know. But we watched Grease nonstop because that was just our obsession. We knew all the songs. We loved John Travolta. And I think, like, too, at that age, you're just like, oh, maybe when I'm in high school, I'll meet a really cute boy, too. <laughs> and dance across the lunchroom with him. What? And dance across the lunchroom with him. Yes, exactly. And wear, like, these really hot leather pants. Yeah, but it was just kind of, it was also, you know, like a coming of age thing. So Sandy went through this whole transition. And I think once I got older, I was like, yes, I need to transition like Sandy did. Yeah, to, to, to be fair, the thing that worried my folks the most was the fact that I liked transition Sandy a whole lot more than I should have <laughs> at the age. I was, I was like, oh, yeah. You you know? And they're like, no, no, no. Like the subtle one. I'm like, no. <laughs> like the one in the skirt. <laughs> like yeah, the full coverage sweater. <laughs> yeah that's fair as a parent you should want that for your child but <laughs> <laughs> um, my experience with Greece was completely different from either of yours I think my mom choreographed this musical probably when I was like 
it was before my brother was born. So I was probably like five or six was my first exposure to Grease. And it wasn't to the movie. It was to the stage play, or pardon me, the stage musical, which does not have you're the one that I want at the end of it. (laughs) It has a completely different ending to it, which which is great. And if you get a chance to listen to the stage musical, it's wonderful. But completely different song, same ending, completely different song. Some of those songs are structured differently, but seeing it as a stage play and seeing, you know, the Frankie Valley character coming out of the sky and everything on the stage for me was kind of like, oh, this is cool. And for me, my experience was, oh, I get to touch everything. So when I finally (laughs) saw the movie, I looked at it and I was like, mom. Those aren't the songs that were in the show. She was like, Irina, I know. They change it for the movies. I said, why they got to change it for the movies, Ma? And she says, because they got to do what sells. Yeah, very true. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it was for me, it was, it was just completely different. But at the same time, because I loved it so much, I let it go. And I was able to kind of look at the characters that I liked and kind of embrace the different versions of songs that they did within the the movie. I think the thing that has always stuck out to me and the song that that I, I think I've always grabbed onto the most, I think the one, the one that I want is the one I can sing in my head right now. Like I could sing you the first verse. I won't, I'll spare everybody that, but I know it that well. I know it that well, but the one that, that I always really thought, was really saying something and it wasn't until I was older that I really learned to appreciate it was Stockard Channing's there's worse things I could do. Oh, 100%. And, I, I, and I'm like, man, what a, just what a deep, cool song that's kind of just stuck as this little ballad in the middle. And it's, it's, it's along the lines of like, I think it's supposed, the one that's supposed to hit the, you know, the, the home and the heart real big is, uh, the, uh, the Olivia Newton John song. Hopelessly devoted to you is supposed to really hit you in the soft spot. But for me, it was always there were things that I could do that that always got me. So it's funny because you and I talked about this musical previously. I think it was probably over text or something. And you had you had said, you know, hey, Irina, at some point you should probably sing the Sandra D reprise. And I looked Mm -hmm. at the lyrics and. I love the lyrics and the coming of age aspect of this. You know, I mean, there's the Sandra D whole thing with uh, Stalker Channing and Rizzo, you know, making fun of her. But if you look at the lyrics to the reprise, that's where you see that coming of age moment where we see Sandy transition. And I think that's a beautiful moment. And it's literally two verses, but it says so much about what the whole entire movie is about. And I think maybe that's it's for Greece. It's those little tie ins that help us um, love it so much. Irene, you and I have had this conversation offline. Lindsay, I want to ask you, have you seen the last five years with Anna Kendrick? No, I know I have not. Okay. So I would recommend that, but you need to do that when you're in a really okay mood to deal with like the most depressing freaking thing in reverse that you can possibly watch. I mean, it's a really sad story you're and the really story behind it me, is even sadder, but, 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 but <laughs> the music in it, is great. I mean, it's you're watching the disintegration of a relationship in reverse, which is kind of like Memento, but if it was a bad love story. Wait, I'm um, going to so, pause you. Yeah. Hold on. It's not, though. So what you have is you have both sides of a relationship going in an opposite direction. Okay. So it's not in the reverse. One starts yeah. at the beginning of the relationship. One starts at the end. And it's really watching the progression of the relationship. And by the way, Lindsay, Jeremy Jordan is in it. So really, you need to watch it. All right, I'm in. I'm in. It's definitely worth watching. I would recommend it too. It didn't make a big splash in in film, but it wasn't really supposed to either. It's definitely not the kind of thing you would just go and see. But I I like Anna Kendrick. I've always thought she was funny. I, I like her and her quirky little roles. Yeah. And I heard she was doing this thing, and I said, okay. So I checked out a couple of the songs. I'm like, that's going to be neat. I went and saw this thing in theaters, and I of course sat there and just like, well, that was really not what I expected. But it, it'll leave you in a puddle. But on the other hand, it's done so well and it's so ingenious that it's it's definitely worth seeing as a movie that's a musical that I know also exists as a stage play until they keep suing the hell out of the guy that wrote it. So we're we're talking about uh, musicals that made it into movies. Um, One of the things that I kind of want to bring up and that we haven't touched on at all, Jay, you brought up Anna Kendrick. Now she's kind of brought back the movie musical. We said, you know, at the beginning we touched on Hugh Jackman, but let's kind of step back to 2014 to Into the Woods. 
Anna Kendrick, James Corden, Emily Blunt, Christine Baranski, Tracy Ullman, Meryl Streep, Johnny Depp. It was probably, and it had Christopher Pine. How can I leave him out ever? But it was probably one of the best stage to screen movies because it's all of the Grimm Brothers fairy tales melded into one story. And I don't think you can do that without having the cinematography to go with it. Is that one either of you have seen? Um, I've seen the play, but I have not seen the movie. And I'm the reverse. I've seen the movie and haven't seen the play. And I liked it. I thought it was well done. I kind of, this big mishmash movies like that, where I feel like I'm watching, you know, somebody put together all of like their stuff and just, I'm going to have everybody play with everybody now at the same time. Those can be a little overwhelming thematically for me. Sometimes I'm like, I, I don't want a world where G.I. Joe and Star Wars are together. It doesn't make, logistically, it doesn't work. So and I, I don't need to do that. But I mean, really, like, I, I, it's like those Lego movies, and this is a, a side conversation here, but I think those are cool, but there's almost too much pop culture, like, crap thrown in there for me to be able to completely go with what they're trying to do. That said, I don't disagree with your notion that Anna Kendrick and having that cast together to pull that off, that would have totally bombed had it not been those people doing it, and you can buy it. And, like, Anna Kendrick was built to be drawn as a Disney character. Or something like she is a rabbit in the woods, you know, singing weird songs and making off color jokes. That's, that's her life. And, and I get it. I'm, I'm down for that. But so sometimes though, when we mishmash everything together, it's like that show, I don't know, what is it? Once upon a time or whatever that was on television. Oh, like, that oh, should get me be, out of that. That should be right up my alley, but I hated it because it was just too much, right? Like just, it's an overload of that stuff. Yeah. And again, I can't speak to the movie. I only saw the preview for it. Um, <laughs> the play's pretty fun. <laughs> like it's all right. It's it's. Well, I mean, it's song time. Some of the songs, yeah. I, think I mean, it's song time. Really- he just repeats a theme over and over and over again. Yeah, so. yeah. No, also like I was gonna say, also a girl I didn't really like played the lead in that one, so not a huge fan. <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> there's no animosity there. Yeah. None. But, you know, water under the bridge now, but. Yeah. <laughs> But it was a fun, it was a fun musical. The movie sounds great. I'll have to add it to my watch list. Kind of coming back to this whole musicals made movies as the thing that we have topic that we've been kind of tossing back and forth. I'm going to toss out three other options that a, I thought were wonderful. B creeped me the hell out and B were eh. Jersey Boys 2014 transitioned from a musical to a movie. Story of Frankie Valley in the Four Seasons. Fabulous musical. Moved to, pardon me, transitioned to a movie. Excellent. Why the hell they had to make cats into a movie with PG <laughs> and all that other shit that they did with it. I am, I refuse to watch it. It creeps me the hell out. I have zero desire to see all these people with these, like, with all their makeup and then being like, like Alice in Wonderland size, like they ate the wrong side of the freaking mushroom and all that kind of crap. It's just weird. And then I'm going to jump to another one that I thought was fabulous. And Jay, because you're a horror fan, if you have not seen Sweeney Todd with oh. Helena Bonham Carter and Johnny Depp and Freaking, what's his name? Alan Rickman. You are missing out in life. No, I've totally seen Sweeney Todd and thought it was great and had no idea where it came from until afterward. And the barbarous like, oh. Seville, man. I was, I was like, I could totally see that being a really cool stage musical as well. So, no, I'm, I was down on, on Sweeney Todd for sure. I, I really liked that one. Yeah, you know, the fun thing about Sweeney Todd, instead of doing all the blood on stage, they do it with like uh, red handkerchiefs. So all of a sudden you'll see the red handkerchiefs. all, And I mean, that's kind of like the token on stage is instead of having blood spurt everywhere, they do it with the red handkerchiefs. They do it in Chicago. They do it in Sweeney Todd. But um, yeah, no. So those are two recommendations. One, don't friggin' see it. And if you do, don't talk to me because you're weird. Uh, All I can say about the cats thing before we throw it to Lindsay for that is I've always thought Taylor Swift looked like a cat anyway. So her in cats is just, that's just too on the nose, which means you, which means you casted it lazy and I have no, I have nothing for you. So cats is fucked up. Let's just put it out there. Like 100%. I'm going to say the F word and just kind of go with it. It's right there. It's messed up. It's not right. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'll go with that. Yeah, like I also I I haven't seen it. Not standing on any principle. I just it looked weird. It kind of I don't remember. I feel like I remember something from like when I was a kid and seeing people dressed as cats, like on Sesame Street or something. <laughs> and I was yeah. like, no, I'm good. <laughs> I don't need to see adults dressed as cats. I, I went, still don't. <laughs> I I went and saw a traveling production of Cats with my family when I was a teenager in Memphis, Tennessee, and they did the, you know the whole bit. And I I mean at the time I thought well you know my parents thought well you'll really be into this you're into you know music in a big way you'll you'll dig this and I remember halfway through it going like how annoying would it be if all this was going on in the alley behind you? Like already I was like a 40 year old man yelling at the clouds, you know? <laughs> and and I was like, I know. And I just remember hating it. I've never, I'm sorry. I've never liked cats. I don't like the music. I don't like the melodrama. I don't like any of it. I, I've never gone for it. So for a second, when you said, I just don't like cats or I don't like cats. I, it took me a minute to transition from, we were talking about a musical to just a general statement. If you don't like cats. Jay doesn't oh, like no, cats. I, and I, that is not true. That is not true. <laughs> He's just highly I, allergic to them. No, that is also not true. My wife is highly allergic to cats. Uh. So I like cats. So anyway, back to where we were. I never really went with cats. So, okay. Irina's throwing out three. Lindsay, you pick it up from there. Phantom of the Opera was the first one that I thought of. I actually didn't really like Phantom of the Opera. I didn't like it for a long time. But the more I watched it, the more I got into it. And then I saw it on stage and seeing it in both mediums made me appreciate it on film more, if that makes sense. So that was one that I had to acquire a taste for. Rent, I was always obsessed with Rent. When it first came out on Broadway, obsessed. When it came out in the theaters, I went to see it. And the day it went on sale on DVD, I went to my local Kroger's and bought it. And I was like, in my own head, like, oh, my God, there's going to be a line. I have to be there early <laughs> to buy rent. <laughs> and, so, uh, and, of I, course, there was no that is line awesome. to buy this movie. It was just yeah. me. And I was like, oh, okay. Sweet. Yeah. I can get 10 copies. So I have a question for you. Um, because it's, it's a stage play or stage musical that was made into a movie. Guys and Dolls, why do you think it hasn't been touched? Do you think that Marlon Brando and Frank Sinatra are just so fabulous in that movie that everybody's afraid to touch it? What uh, kind of what's your opinion on that? Because all of the others have been redone. Because there are so many people who think they're way more fabulous than them. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying they do. And so I'm wondering... I don't like know. There's got to be more to it than that. Can, sure. can, I, can that I weigh one? in? Yeah. I weigh in on that. Y- y'all do understand, like, Frank Sinatra had ties in a world. Well, let's just say he took Garth Brooks' advice about having friends in low places real seriously before that he was fashionable. He sure did. He was, like, friends and, with, like, Sam Giancani, who was part of, like, the mob. Yeah, you, you guys do know he had to sign off on Bruce Willis taking over the John McClane role in Die Hard because he had played that role in a movie called The Detective before and had the deal to, if they ever make the next one, I'm going to be John McClane. And they had to like pay him off for it. What? I'm not making that up. Yes, okay. I'm not making that up. So Frank has like power even from beyond the grave now that there's just some things you're just not going to ever touch. And that's how it is. Huh. And I, I, I really believe that. And also... That is a fabulous version of it, and there's nothing you can do to fix it or, or improve it or modernize it or whatever the hell you want to do with it. But I do think there's there's a real truth to the long arm of Frank Sinatra going, you, you're not going to touch certain things, baby. Huh. I like that theory. I like yeah. that theory a lot. That means I never have to sit through a shitty version of Guys and Dolls. Beautiful. True. Yeah, very true. Yeah. I uh, I want to make a confession here that's going to really <laughs> out me as more than anything else has on this show. I have never seen a production of or a film version of The Phantom of the Opera. I've listened to the music. Uh-huh. I know it well. I've never seen it brought to life. And I almost feel like I don't need to because I've listened to the music and I sort of have it in my head as to how I think it should go. And I mean, some of it's just... I mean, it's part of pop culture knowledge, just what that looks like and what the story is. I've never seen it. So I'll, I'll give it both of you like two minutes each to convince me I should watch a version of this. So I'm going to jump right in, Linz. I love you, but Go um, I've, I got a couple years on you. I'm going to have to like give our friend Kurt 
a little bit of love because when I first heard the music from Phantom of the Opera, I didn't see the show first. I heard the music. It was the Canadian version. And the wonderful thing about the Canadian version is that the man who played the Phantom of the Opera was Colm Wilkinson, who is the original Jean Valjean from Les Mis. So I had this experience where he is a very emotional singer. You can feel everything that character is going through when Colm sings. And it was really, it's really sad that they waited um, forever to make Les Mis the musical into a movie. And they had, I love Hugh Jackman, but they had him sing it live. Hugh Jackman is notoriously not good live. He is much better recorded. And they had Colm Wilkins step in as a priest in that movie. Anyway, different topic, different show. But that was my first experience with Fan of the Opera. And I remember learning to sing to that musical. So, and it, it really isn't a musical, it's a rock, rock opera. So when they made it into a movie, I kind of held my breath a little bit. I held my breath and I thought, oh my God, please just don't do a Michael Crawford version. And I love Michael Crawford in Hello, Dolly, as the character he played in Hello, Dolly. He has zero business playing the Phantom. But that's, you know, another topic. But what I appreciated is the guy that they cast in Phantom of the Opera in the movie, he kind of split the difference for me. And he was middle of the road. He was some Colm Wilkinson. He was some Michael Crawford. And he just kind of weaseled his little way into my heart. And I actually enjoyed listening to it. I never enjoy seeing Phantom. I saw Phantom on stage for the first time on Broadway, second row, center section, felt like my face and my eyelashes and my eyebrows burning off because the flames from the stage were so hot. So I have a, a little weird kind of relationship with this musical. I didn't see it, then I did see it, and then I saw it on film. And I, So it, it, it really kind of puts up a fight inside my body as to, to how I'm supposed <laughs> to feel about it. Yeah, I mean, no, that's kind of what I'm saying. Like, it was definitely... I had to I had to ease into Phantom. I saw it live for the first time. It was just a piece of it, actually, as part of kind of a variety show. And they had cast two different people or two different men as the Phantom so that he could appear in different places in the room. And that was weird and cool. And so the neat thing for me about seeing it live, and then I saw the full show live, in London at the theater or Her Majesty's Theater, which I think only does that show. And that was cool just to try to dissect how they did everything they did in that theater. And so it's kind of fun to like play the stagehand and the designer for a minute and just think like, how would I design that? But it's, uh, I don't know. I mean, you should probably see it just because everybody has, but I can't really talk because confession time for me, I've never seen the live version or the film version of Les Mis. <gasps> I, I thought that I, might get a reaction. <laughs> I think I just had a heart attack and were vomited in my mouth. I can't decide. <laughs> I have not seen a stage version of Les Mis, but I've seen two film versions of it, and I prefer the older one with Jeffrey Rush. Hey. I didn't see that. Um, there was a yeah, Liam Neeson much. version of Les Mis, but it wasn't a musical, so... Yeah, that's what I'm talking about, I think. So. Oh, probably. It was terrible. I, yep. this, Les Mis is one of those stories that's so drawn out that you either have to see it as a musical or don't watch it at all and just read the damn book. I kind of yeah. felt that way because I read the book after watching that. And right, so, right, right, right. Yeah. So, no, yeah. you do it as a straight play and forget it. Nobody wants to pay attention. It's boring. It's There's no drama to it. You're not imagining anything to it. But you, you put it as a musical and all of a sudden you're feeling. And I think Brian and I have talked about that in, in, in our last sessions episode is how music kind of it, it makes you feel more. That's why we have soundtracks to movies. That's why there are scores. Yeah. That's why all of that's there. Can I give you all like some movies that are that you wouldn't think of them as musicals, but they really are. They they've never been translated to stage, but they're just movie musicals that I I still adore to this day. Yeah. Anytime you get the Muppets doing something in a movie, <laughs> except for the more yeah. recent stuff, yeah. Like the the Great Muppet Caper, by the way, is a totally underrated Muppet movie and should be revisited often by everyone because it's just a complete smile of a and movie. The, and the Muppets and, take Manhattan. How could you not go back to that? I said, thank my, you. Anytime or, or a friend of mine Muppet gets married. Movie. 
the Muppets Christmas Carol. Thank you. Yes, a great version of the Christmas Carol. Yeah, the I, anytime the Muppets are doing. <laughs> I think the George C. Scott one's good, but anyway, that's I, just me. I, I, so. I, I like Scrooge, but you know, we're yes. all different. Oh, I love Scrooge. <laughs> bring back well, the relic like Dennis I, trying to sing. I know what's happening next Christmas on Filmstrip. So anyways. <laughs> and then we, we can planned. have Alec Guinness. And, and who else was in that? It was Michael. What's his name? It was one of the Michaels. Anyway, point being, I'm always down for the Muppets doing musical thing. <laughs> well, all right. Now, I, I've had my Muppet moment here now. So we, we've all done that. What about TV shows that try to dip into musicals? We had a little triad amongst the film strip hosts about this, and Brian and I, and I think Irene, even you mentioned once more with feeling the Buffy episode. That's the musical Woo-hoo! episode. A lot of people remember that one, but there's other shows that do this too. Lindsay, you were talking about some of those with us offline. Yeah, uh, Bob's Burgers. Well, first of all, I don't know if you've ever seen Bob's Burgers. Bob's wife, whose name I'm blanking on right now, does this thing where she's just makes random songs out of whatever it is she's doing, which I do all the time. But every couple of episodes, they have this pretty much full-on musical episode, and it always cracks me up. There have been a bunch of... uh, Do you remember Rocco's Modern Life when I was a kid? I watched that on Nickelodeon, and they had a bunch of full-on musical episodes, too, which were hilarious. And SpongeBob, which is also a musical. You know what? And it's funny as a musical. Like, the music from it is really good. Like, stupid good. I think cartoon medium, it lends itself to this. Family Guy does this. South Park, I mean, got nominated for a freaking Oscar for Blaine Canada. And should have won. I'm sorry, I like Phil Collins. Blaine Canada was amazing. That is awesome. Well, and let's be honest, the Robin Williams performance of Blaine Canada at the Oscars is one of the funniest (laughs) things you'll ever see. I'm going to have to... to look that up. Another show that did a great musical episode was House MD. I don't know if anybody watches it or watched it, pardon me, but season seven, episode 15, House did a, a musical episode that was pretty hilarious. Hugh Lowry singing Get Happy While on Top of a Stretcher is pretty wonderful. And another <laughs> and another show that did a crossover musical episode was The Flash and Supergirl. So two shows that they did the crossover. Yeah. But we have Jeremy Jordan on that episode, which is fabulous. And the girl who played Supergirl, Melissa Benoist, she was originally on Glee. So we know she has this oh. background uh, as a singer. Yeah. And a how, li- have we gotten almost an hour into this and nobody's mentioned Glee? That says I'm mentioning Glee right now. And here's the reason <laughs> I'm going to mention Glee. Glee. It's a TV show. Right, right. So anyway, Glee true, is a TV true. show. Now we're just barely getting TV to TV shows. But the wonderful thing about Supergirl and The Flash crossing over is we have Melissa Benoist, who is on Glee. The guy from The Flash, don't remember his name. That's fine. I'm not worried about it. He was on Glee. Jeremy Jordan is a Broadway star. So we have all these people that are brought together in these two episodes. I think even Calista Flockhart sang at one point. But they're all brought together in this one crossover episode from these two shows, where it's literally nothing but song and dance. And it's fabulous. The way they move it together is flawless. It reminded me a lot of Once More with Feeling, which, as you know, Jay, is on my regular rotation on my Google Music library. Um, every once in a while, it'll pop up and I'll, I'll send Jay a picture of my radio and be like, hey, look what's on the radio. But yeah, this one was a great one in... And it was like more true musical style, hearkening back to like the the Fred Astaire days. See, that makes me want to watch that. I've never watched either of those shows, but that makes me want to check it out and see it because that does sound really inventive. You don't need to you don't need to watch any other episode of it, but you should watch that singular episode. And I'm going to let you know which one it is. It is called Duet. It is the Flash episode. Called Duet, season three, episode 17. Very cool. Didn't Scrubs, Scrubs had a musical episode, too. Oh, yeah, they oh. did. Yeah. yeah. Which is exactly what I would expect out of something like Scrubs. Well, yeah. That's- Right. Yeah. I mean, it's fine. It, it, I, I'm, I'm intrigued by this idea of house. I only watched like a few episodes here and there of house when I was watching a lot of USA back in the day. And I, I just can't imagine that as a musical, but because <laughs> everybody's so like super self serious in it, but it, <laughs> no, it would be, I mean, Robert Sean Leonard and Jennifer Morrison <laughs> don't know how to smile. 
at all. Right. So I, I mean, yeah. So it's just funny to think about them doing that. Now Omar Epps, I can buy, but uh, not them. So oh yeah yeah, that, yeah yeah that's funny. So Lindsay, question for you: Do you think they'll ever make Wicked into a movie musical? Did they not? Oh, I guess they didn't. Um. I'm just waiting for that one or for Dear Evan Hansen. And I think Dear Evan Hansen has to be made before Benjamin Platt gets too old because he's the only person who should star in that. He's so good. And Laura Dreyfus, she was so good in that, too. She was great. Now, uh, Jay, if you haven't heard of Dear Evan Hansen and you've seen Pitch Perfect, did you see Pitch Perfect? I saw Pitch Perfect in the theaters. I saw all three of them in the theaters. As a matter of fact, <laughs> so, right? Rachel and I are big fans of those. So, now, now t- Check this out. Okay, I knew about that when it was being made because, again, as a big nerd, I stumbled across a YouTube rabbit hole of, like, the SoCal vocals and reverse osmosis, all these, like, college acapella groups Mm -hmm. and stuff because where my wife went to college and then, like, where I grew up, acapella groups were, like, a big deal. Mm -hmm. So we were aware of them, and I just found a bunch one day, and we just started listening to them, like, on, you know, car rides, like, all these these groups. And I told her, I said, there's, like, this book where some guy embedded with them, like, and it's almost like this whole subculture. So I read it, and I thought, this is wild. It's almost like its own, like, jock culture. And I out they were making a movie with Anna Kendrick and I thought well this is going to be funny and so yeah so I'm, I'm big on Pitch Perfect I know who, who you're talking about and I know what Dear Evan Hansen's about and I, I'm surprised that hasn't been made into a movie yet either right especially with how wonderful Ben Platt is on screen because he was fabulous fabulous in Pitch Perfect he was the guy who came in and saved the day sorry if I'm spoiling Pitch Perfect for anybody <laughs> but he really did come in and save the day as the nerdy friend who could sing his ass off and, you know, when he performs Dear Evan Hansen, it just leaves you breathless. It's, it really does. I've made the mistake of listening to it while I'm working. Like, oh, don't work. do that. Yeah. And I'll just, I'll, I'll just like break into tears at my desk while I'm like in a spreadsheet or something. And, <laughs> and that's it. That's it. That's, that's all. I have to turn it off. But it's so good. It's hard to, I mean, it'll just pop up on my playlist. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds, that sounds like a great idea for two o'clock in an afternoon. Like, you know, just, doing just kidding. No, no, <laughs> no, no, that never works out well. I, 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 Irina stole my thunder. I was going to ask both of you, how has Wicked not been made into a movie considering how successful it is? And, and I, when I was asking that or thinking about asking that today, I, answered in my own head if you had asked me that and since you did Irene I'm going to weigh in on it I don't know that it would work entirely in a movie situation I think there's something about that that is constructed very specifically for the stage and the way the songs come off and stuff and I mean having heard Adina Mazel who I love sing you know, the songs from that outside of context it's I don't know it's just a little different and I don't know that it would completely work as a movie plus that's another one of those like righteous hollywood things that like you just you touch the wizard of oz and like beware what happens to you you know that happened once yeah no maybe maybe frank had some hand in that too i will give you this (laughs) and i'm jumping ahead of Lindsay, and I'm, i'm gonna ask her to weigh in when i'm done but i think one of the reasons that it hasn't been made into a movie musical is because there's nobody who can compare to the combination of Kristen and Adina in those parts. Adina ruined her voice doing this show. They, like you, you can watch a progression of her not being able to hit those high notes anymore, but she is the voice you want to hear. The only person who can kind of replace Kristen Chenoweth is Kristen Bell. And I don't know whether she's interested. I don't know whether she's kind of said, mm, maybe I'll do it. I, I think if they were going to make it into a, a, a modern movie musical, we could put Kristen Bell and Anna Kendrick together in it. But I don't think it would have the same feeling. And I think that's kind of where they've drawn the line with it is, you know, those voices who created those parts aren't going to be able to live up to do a movie. So are you thinking Kristen Bell for like Glenda? Yes. So I, I, I love that. I would I would dreamcast her in that role for. I wanna, yeah, I don't I Anna Kendrick has the pipes, but she just doesn't have, I, f- I think she's, I feel like she's too tiny to play. Maybe not. I don't know. I just don't think she would command the same presence that Adina Manzel did. 
I, I, I completely agree with that. I, I, you know, if I, I don't know how I could dreamcast it or anything. I, I'm with, with your thought that Christian Chenoweth and Adina Mazzell just, I mean, they're on the soundtrack. They're what everybody really knows from, from that show. And it's hard to imagine anybody else doing it. That said, I can't imagine us going another 10 years with that thing running strong on Broadway, selling out all the time, and they don't. Yeah. Somehow find a way to make this happen. They just haven't found the right people for it. Can we get Disney to do it? Because I think they're the only ones who will do it justice. I mean, I don't know who else would touch it. I I think Disney's the only one who has the chops to touch it. Well, it's also because Disney owns everything. They probably will be the only one left to touch it at this point. Well, you know, Monopoly aside. (laughs) Right. I mean, what they they not have IP on at this point? But yeah, that was one I was going to ask. Like, how is that one done? I've got another one for y'all. I saw this one in New York on Broadway. Um, And yes, I want to know how Miss Saigon's never made it to a movie because that is a powerful show. That's one of those where I loved watching the helicopter set piece come to stage and I know it's just like a front of a helicopter coming to stage but holy shit a helicopter just landed I mean I I ate that up as a teenager when I saw that and I don't know how that never got made into a movie because it's a great drama I've never seen it so I cannot really weigh in on that but I'll uh, pass the ball over to Irina <laughs> so um the 25th anniversary made its uh world premiere in uh u.s cinema in 2016 i think that it is such an in-depth musical that the problem with it is that it has to be done as a feature film it can't be done mm. as one of these last minute throw together musicals that there's so much that goes into it you know with fan of the opera we didn't have a helicopter flying in to to vietnam but my my point is 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 that the budget for that has to be there and i think that might be what's holding everybody back well, you hit something there, and, I, and maybe this answers the question, is it might work better if you strip the musical part out and you just made a movie of it or whatever, but that movie's been made like six other times. Like, oh, yeah. There's, it's there's, been tons, made, there's it's tons been of versions made, of that. It's been yeah. made so many times. And unfortunately, it's not. It's no longer an original story, which is why it works as a musical. Miss Saigon is more of a movie that changed into a musical and you know you take whatever movies you want to and kind of throw them together and then you get miss saigon but again they did do a they did the 25th anniversary performance of it which is not the same they did the same thing with les mis they did the 10th and then they did the 15th and the 20th and all that kind of stuff but i I think that it would lose something in translation especially with the way that some of the songs move and the way that they're projected. The movie in my mind, you know, she's sitting there watching mm -hmm. the movie. And if we don't have that, the separation of the two, the character on stage and then the projection or the two characters on stage singing side by side, then I think we miss something. I would think we would lose something in translation. I would like to also weigh in the fact that Vietnam is a generation and a half ago at this point. And I just don't think it resonates with movie going audiences. Like there's a group of people that would go see that. Yes, very much so. And I'm not diminishing what Vietnam means in our history or any of that kind of stuff. I'm just saying, I don't think that's something that resonates with people the way it did 20 years ago. Well, that's because they're not being taught the same things in their history classes anymore. It's, it's migrated. We have transitioned from the, the focus on one thing to another. And I'm not going to get all political about that because then it's just a whole open a whole other can of worms. But, um, you know, the, the focus has, has, has shifted. So yeah, it isn't as applicable anymore. All right. So Lindsay, what's a musical you're, you're not, your surprise hasn't been made into a movie yet. That boy musical. Why not? I love that musical so much. I don't know how it would transfer to film, but I mean, it was a musical made from like an Inquirer ad. <laughs> okay, do tell because I don't know what you're talking about. This is amazing. Oh, you don't? You never? No, heard of this that? sounds really. No, this sounds fantastic. Do do tell. Oh my gosh! Okay, Bad Boy the Musical is a musical based on the I believe it was the Inquirer story of a boy that was left. And I'm sorry, I'm starting to lose my voice just a little bit but it was the story of a boy the boy who was like left in a bat cave and then raised by bats so he was like half boy (laughs) half bat and they made a musical about it 
And it's a brilliant musical. It's basically about this boy gets found because these three teenagers are caving and they he bites <laughs> one of them. And then he comes into this small town and this other family starts taking care of him. And it's like this whole thing about like, you know, just because he's different doesn't mean he's trying to hurt anybody. And it's like this whole, but the music for it is just fantastic. And it would be, I'd I'd be interested to see how it translated to film. I am so down for this, but only if Fred Decker, the director of Night of the Creeps and Monster Squad does it. Because that's the only way it can be done justice. Yep. No, I think yeah. I think that would that would be a good route to take. Hey, you know what? If they made Evil Dead the musical, then I don't understand why <laughs> Bad Boy the musical wouldn't be a thing, or Bad Boy the this musical as true. a movie wouldn't be yeah. a thing. Yeah, this is true. Yeah. This is true. It really should be. Well, all right, guys. We we've talked a good while about musicals and movies and stuff <laughs> like that. We're kind of at the end of the of the podcast, but we do want to do a real quick round of stuff you're watching right now in November 2019. Things you're into that we're not reviewing on the show. So, Lindsay, your first time on the show, you get to go first. What have you been watching? What are you into? What should people be checking out? I just started watching Living with Myself with Paul Rudd. I love so many of his movies, and I was like, you know what? I'll watch an episode of this just while I'm making dinner. And I ended up binging four or five episodes, I think, and between yesterday and today. And he is, he seriously knocks it out of the park. Like, it's such a fun show. And his, he, it's, in my opinion, probably some of his best acting work. I don't think he's been able to, like, get some of these juicier roles because he's always such like a rom-com guy and it has a rom-com element but he's just so good in it so that's what i'm watching right now um and i'm I'm sorry (laughs) to say i'm out of the wrestling game i haven't watched a wrestling match for (laughs) for probably a month or two so i wish i could talk about that i haven't seen any AEW. you got to get in on some of that i know i know i'm working on it i'm working on it that is definitely worth checking out. Okay, Irina. So my husband and I kind of, we shifted our focus. Typically, we're like Marvel-focused folk. But uh, we went ahead and splurged on uh, the DC Universe. And we're watching Doom Patrol, uh, which Ooh. is kind of like uh, the DC Universe's answer to the boys. Really funny. It's Brendan Fraser, Matt Bomer, and a couple of other well-known actors. But Matt Bomer on screen, like, I'll, I'll, you know, sell my soul to the devil to see him on screen because he's a fabulous actor and he's done a great job in this part. Brendan Fraser is completely out of his element. He is still the comedic relief in this, but he's doing a great job. Other things that are going on. Um, I have two podcasts that I'm listening to right now. Three, actually. Um, I picked up The Killing of Marilyn Monroe, which I'm going to say, if you haven't listened to it, It's a fabulous kind of dissection of Marilyn Monroe's life and everything leading up towards her death. One of the other podcasts I'm listening to is WTF with Mark Maron. That kind of like showed me all these different actors and the things that they've done. Like I wouldn't have known that Edward Norton had ever done a musical if I hadn't listened to that. The third thing I'm listening to now is Dolly Parton's America. And it's a whole new look at the Dolly Parton that I thought I knew. And her music and how she looks at life through her music. And she has, I think she has a musical about her life. And then the movie Nine to Five that she was in was made into a musical that she wrote most of the music for, which is fabulous. So since we're talking about music, let's go, musicals, pardon me, let's go ahead and talk about Dolly for a minute. Probably one of the best songwriters uh, that any of us will ever see in our lifetime. So that's another good one. Very cool. I love Dolly Parton. I'm, I'm always down for any of her stuff and and uh, have seen her several times in, in person. She's a, she's a big fun. I, for me, I, you know, I joked earlier, I don't watch stuff unless it's winds up on film strip and that's usually true uh, with a couple of exceptions recently I finally listened to Ron and Irina and every other body person that was trying to tell me you need to watch the boys on Amazon and I finally started watching it and I laughed because Carl Urban is awesome and I, I love him and everything and so I'm watching that and I'm like yes I'm, I'm totally hooked on that now so I'm ready to get through the first season of that 
my wife and I re- went back and rewatched a movie series that we happen to be big fans of together. It's something she really digs. We watched the Purge movies again during oh. October. We were watching, you know, it's different scary movies and stuff. And we went back and rewatched those and man, they hold up. They really do. And she had watched the first season of the TV show and it's on Hulu now. So we binged that over a couple of days and that was a lot of fun. So if you haven't watched that and you liked the Purge movies, I, I happen to think they got better as they went along up to a point. The TV show is very much like the second and the third one. And I thought those were the, the really good ones. So that was cool. Podcast wise. I mean, you know, it's football season. I'm listening to a lot of football podcasts and stuff like that, but I'm listening to amateur tours right now. Mike's have been doing a real cool series where he goes back and does kind of quick hits on, on movies. It's kind of like a shorter version of the Fabish factor. And I discovered another podcast that Wondery's put out called American elections, wicked game. And I'm not getting into politics here, but it's the story of every election, a presidential election in American history. And I'm a big history buff. So I find that stuff fascinating, especially in colonial times and leading up to, you know, really when the country grew. And so I've been listening to those recently. That's been a lot of fun uh, for me. So, you know, we just came out of October, so I've seen a lot of scary stuff now and I'm kind of ready to transition. I have a bit of a tradition in November and I want to, I want to end with asking you two, if you have something you just tend to watch this time of year, We're getting around the holiday time, but it's a little too early for Christmas movies for me. November has always been James Bond month for me. And I think it's because growing up, TBS used to run Mary marathons of them and my family were big games players we would set up the card table we'd play and we'd have the bond marathon in the background so november i usually go back and revisit some james bond flicks during this time of year what do you two tend to watch during november what's kind of your go-to stuff probably lord of the rings for me <laughs> all three hobbit all lord of the rings movies extended version obviously and then i really love so i usually I tend to gear more toward classic movies when it starts to get colder out. I don't know why. I think that's just the kind of movie that I want to sit inside cozy drinking a martini or whatever they're drinking in those movies. And one of my favorites is the Thin Man series with, I think it's Nora Roberts and I can't remember the lead, the other lead's name, but it's, it's just so quirky and adorable and funny and Highly recommend if neither of you have seen it. Uh, I don't really have <laughs> any sort of uh, tradition that I follow right now. And, and as of this evening, and I think I was a little late showing up for this podcast. <laughs> I was packaging up 12 different costumes for Comic-Con this weekend. So that was fun. And that's kind of been the focus. One of the things I'll probably revisit in November is a movie called Desk Set. And I brought it up to a few of our film strip folk here and there but desk set is spencer tracy and Catherine hepburn and it's just a, a cute little story about when computers start to replace human beings in in their everyday work so i'll probably revisit that one because my husband and i uh, we we find it cute and amusing and so true to life now but, you know, that's one of those that I'm going to say you should watch it just for the experience of seeing the pair of them in a movie together. And if you're not into older movies, this is one yeah. that's going to kind of just bring you back to modern day while having the, a taste of that that vintage style. I see. I love good vintage movies and I haven't seen either of these that y'all are mentioning. So now I've got new stuff to check out. So I'm digging it. So in between, you know, Goldfinger and for your eyes only, I can squeeze this <laughs> in. That'll be a lot of fun. So, well, it has been a blast. Lindsay, welcome to Filmstrip. Thanks for being on this show and you'll be back again in December. But real quick, the, the thing we always ask everybody when they first come on Filmstrip, what kind of stuff do you like to watch? What's your movie genre of choice? You already dropped Lord of the Rings and stuff, but what else are you into? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, well, I do love classic movies. I did mention that. Gosh, there's seriously, I love, it's not even a guilty pleasure. I love stupid comedies. So like anything with Will Ferrell in it, even right down to like the old school nineties stuff, like dude, where's my car? And just, I don't know. I think cause if I sit down to watch a movie, Usually I'm not interested in like crying. It has to be, I have to be in a special mood for something <laughs> like that. So, so no Pixar, stay away from that. But yeah, I love the stupid comedies. And of course around this time of year, because it's October right now, I do, I do like to catch a good horror flick and Friday the 13th warrants a Friday the 13th marathon. But seriously, as soon as Thanksgiving 
is done and the dishes are washed, it is Christmas movie time, which is my favorite genre of movie of all time. So that I have to keep reined in for myself between specific dates. Then this December's film strip sessions is going to be right up your alley because we are doing something that is either going to be the funnest thing we've ever done or the cluster of all time on this show. And that's saying something, folks. We're going to have all seven, count them, all seven film strip hosts on one show talking about our favorite holiday movie. (laughs) And I'm looking forward to doing this or I'm I'm gonna dread editing it. I don't know one or the other. But I do I do have to step in and say this was originally Brian's idea and he wanted to do it in October, but we have Shocktober going on and I think he deserves a little bit of credit, especially now that we've added another member. It is gonna be a a real hoot. We've got some fun stuff coming up in uh, December as well. We've got uh, you know more reviews. I'll just go ahead and say it. Curtin are working through the last end of our Stanley Kubrick retrospective and The Shining is a perfect winter movie so we're putting that one out early in the, the month and then we Ron and I recorded a podcast with a group of people from a show called Tis the Podcast Lindsay you might be up to their alley here they do Christmas movie reviews year round doesn't oh. matter what it is it's a Christmas movie they're doing and we got them on to do a uh, well a little fun movie that's on Amazon right now called Rare Exports and that'll be coming out at the end of the, the year there but we want to have a big special film strip sessions in December. We'll have the whole gang on and then tons of fun stuff coming in 2020. And Lindsay, we'll go ahead and spoil it now. Your first official review episode is going to be a little cult hit. I don't know if people heard of it. It's called Dirty Dancing. I don't know. People may not know that one, but uh, that's going to be a lot of fun to revisit as we get into more fun stuff here on film strip. Folks, I really tell folks how they can follow you on the interweb should they choose to do so. All right. People can follow me on Twitter at iSing, E-Y-E-S-I-N-G, or on Instagram at i.nerd, E-Y-E dot N-E-R-D. So you can follow me on Twitter, but I never post. So I'm just going to give you my Instagram, which is it's (laughs) L-I-N-Z underscore L-U underscore W-H-O. So Lindsay underscore Lou underscore who. Fantastic. And obviously the, the reference to the Grinch there. So yep. now what you've revealed about your holiday movie preference. That's, that's totally, exactly so. what it is. <laughs> Absolutely. Folks, you can follow the show's Twitter page at Filmstrip Pod. You can also find the Filmstrip Podcast page on Facebook. We'd appreciate it if you follow us. And of course, go to filmstrippodcast.com. That'll take you to the feeds page where you can find the podcast and every format you could possibly want. If you like the show, please leave us a positive review and share it on your social media as it helps other people find the show. Listen, we've been doing film strip for a long time. We relaunched again after almost a year and a half off. And Brian and I were talking the other day about how much fun we are having doing this show again and how much fun it is to have new people involved in this as well. And Irene and Lindsay, we're glad you have joined the crew and look forward to much more fun with y'all in the future. Folks, thanks so much for listening to this episode of Film Strip Sessions. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to Filmstrip. You can find more episodes on our website, filmstrippodcast.com. The Filmstrip theme music is produced and performed by Frozen Lake 121. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17.